Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Good afternoon and welcome to this special episode of the Shift with CJ podcast. Why is it special? Because most of the episodes that you have heard go online on Zoom or something else where I've been talking to my guests over video calls. But today is special because I am in this biohacker studio sharing my presence, my energy, the light and the love with a very special guest. Why is he special? Now, my guest on the show today has done a couple of things in his life. He is a meditation teacher, helps a lot of busy executives with finding calm and peace in their life. He is also born in a Vedic family, so he knows a lot about esoteric traditions, Ayurvedas, things that you hear that would might be a bit woo-woo, like mantras and things like that. But surprisingly, he's also an 11th Dan black belt and is a Zen facilitator along with being a third degree Reiki healer. So, everyone, please welcome Anjan on the show today. Namaste. Namaste, Anjan. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you today. You've done interesting research, so I thank you for that. But I'd like to start with chanting one Om. Please. Chanting Om helps you to balance all your internal and external energies, purify the atmosphere of any unnecessary thoughts, and give you clarity to always speak uh, words of value. Mm-hmm. Okay, so will you join me? Yes, I will. Okay, you can put your hands together in the namaste position. If you're watching us, you can also do this wherever you are. If you're driving, don't do it. Otherwise, you can do it. At the start of the bell, you can take a deep inhale and then we can chant Om together. way to start. Thank you, Anjan, for bringing in that frequency and vibration into this room. And um, before we start, a lot of people who might be watching this have seen or been in some sort of a yoga class. They have also seen some, they might have Indian friends. And they've always heard about Om, right? And Om is a unique when let's say we use it in a lot of mantras, it's being used in a lot of places because the vibration and the frequency of OM, it, like you mentioned, it has so many different benefits. But also when scientists look at the vibration and the frequency of the universe, it resembles, the sound resembles to OM. So how do you think people back in the day, they came to this sound? Did they... I mean, was it a trial and experimentation? Did they say other things and then they said OM and something suddenly started, you know, they started feeling great? What's like the history of OM? Very nice question. It's amazing that science today is catching up with what yoga said 20,000 years ago. So OM in the Vedic um, terminology is called pranava which means the first sound. And today even science and the theory of evolution 
uh, tells us first there was a big bang, which is a sound, mm -hmm. uh, essentially. Even Abrahamic religions say first there was the sound, whether it's Christianity or Islam or any other Abrahamic religion. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like uh, been passed through through humanity that the first thing that existed was sound. And I like the way you started. You said, thank you for bringing this frequency because at the end of the day, what are we but frequencies? Mm -hmm. We're vibrations. So when we, when we see this glass, we might perceive it as solid. But at the atomic level, it's a bunch of atoms oscillating at certain frequencies, thereby causing vibration. So you can say it's a, it's a creation of vibration. So the yogis 17,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, they sat down, they meditated. Um, like my friend Manish Paul says, in yoga, you are the experiment and you are the experimenter. So they mm -hmm. sat and they experimented with themselves. And they figured out that this sound and many of the other sounds, which now we call mantras, uh, man is your mental space, tra is trayoti, expansion. So expanding your mental space through sound is called mantra. Mm -hmm. So then they found many of these syllable sounds, consonants, bija mantras, root mantras that affect different vibrations or energy dimensions that you can even call chakras. Mm -hmm. So this is how it happened. They sat and they experimented with themselves. They found it worked. They mm -hmm. shared it with others. They found it worked. Mm -hmm. So they wrote it down or they shared it, Shruti or Smriti, Shruti spoken knowledge, Smriti written knowledge. Mm -hmm. So they shared it, it's passed on through generations. And what we have today is a modern diluted version of what are the amazing things that they found. But it need not be so much in the past. Today, if you sit down and you just listen to space, you might hear the same things. Mm. But remember, you're the experimenter and you're the experiment. So nobody can tell you it's right or wrong. If you've heard it, you've heard it. Mm. And there's a lot of present-day yogis, present-day gurus, present-day siddhas, present-day meditators all around the world who reach a space of deep, infinite silence to access that limitless um, beingness inside you and they get downloads. They call it downloads. Mm -hmm. But it's actually just listening to the sound of space. Sounds of space. That is very interesting, especially the glass, ex uh, the glass example that you just gave. Because what it really, even like you mentioned, according to science, everything is just frequency and, you know, all these things are vibrating at a certain frequency and only because it can be blocked by light or it's slower than the frequency of light, we're able to see it. But there's a lot of things which are faster beyond the frequency of light. Some things that might just be in this room or outside and be our human eye can't perceive it is because they're just faster than what light is. It's the same with five senses. So you've covered sight with light. We only see what falls. So I put my hand. It's a certain color because the light is bouncing off it. If I move it, you don't see my hand. You see the wall because it's got a certain color. You see Mr. Charlie Chaplin. But like you said, there are uh, dimensions beyond what we can perceive. The same with sound. There's ultrasounds and there's infrasounds. The same with taste. Mm -hmm. There's ultra taste and infra taste, which we cannot perceive. Uh, there's so many things which we cannot perceive with our basic taste senses. Then the same thing with smell. There's so many smells we can't perceive. Same thing with touch. And that's when Tantra comes in. Tantra learns to perceive all types of touch. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. So I want to go, I want to learn a little bit about your backstory. So how did you get into meditation, tantra, all the knowledge that you have? Were you, did you download this into you or were you special or were you chosen one or were there environmental impacts that took you to this level? Tell us about a little bit about yourself, about your backstory. First of all, there's no such thing as getting into meditation. Mm-hmm. Meditation is not an activity. So like I'm drinking water, I'm meditating, right? It's, it's not the same. Uh, the Western, the English word meditation is pretty much two-dimensional, unlimited. In Sanskrit, we have many words for the meditative state. Dhyana, dharana, japa, tapa, samadhi, etc. So on and so forth, kaivalya. But uh, the understanding of meditation, to make it simple, is that it is a state you reach when you're able to dissolve any identities that you have accumulated. Mm-hmm. So you're born like this. When you're born, you have no accumulated identity. I call it the ignorant state of meditation. Any baby you see is pure divinity because mm-hmm. they've not accumulated what society mm-hmm. told them, what school told them, what college told them. You are so-and-so person. You're this nationality. You're this caste, race, grade, color. This is your job. This is your role. You're a son. You're a wife. You're a daughter. You're a mother. You're a teacher. You're a student. None of that. Mm-hmm. They're pure. That's why babies are pure. Mm-hmm. So can you be childlike and just let go of all the identities that you've accumulated and you find meditation. There's mm-hmm. nothing to get into. Okay. There's no activity involved. If you're still doing something, it's probably not meditation because the essence is to move from human doing to human being, right? Mm-hmm. So how can you be and not do? Uh, now to answer your question specifically, I'm, I call it brown privilege because of my okay. skin color. I was born into a family <laughs> That was uh, deeply rooted in uh, Vedas and yoga and Tantra and uh, a lot of other esoteric sciences. Um, my mother, my father, my grandfather. But when you're a kid, you're running away from grandpa's classes. You're like, I yeah. don't want to go there. Um, but then things happen in your life. You get attracted back to him. So my grandfather was, a, uh, I would say, was my main guru. Uh, he was a student of Krishnamacharya, classmate of BK's Iyengar, um, a professor. Um, and he was uh, also, uh, in India, they have this uh, cadre called IAS, Indian Administrative Service, who is a government officer building some of the biggest projects like the Bakra Nangal Dam in India and handling multi-million dollar projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was of scientific mindset. At the same time, he had a very deep spiritual background. Then he became an ordained monk. He became a Roshi, which is a Zen term for an ordained monk. Um, then, of course, he became a Sri Vidya proponent. Sri Vidya is one of the forms, one of the lineages of Tantra. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we come from the Agastya lineage of mm-hmm. um, meditating Siddhas. So that lineage was strong. He was an Ayurvedic uh, doctor. He was a homeopath. He was a naturopath. Uh, he was a yogi. Um, so I guess... When you're a child, you get influenced by all of this. When you go for bhajan sessions or just his talks or his classes. And it just accumulates subconsciously. And when it's ready, it pops up. So 2006 was when um, I was 26. Uh, Till then, it was pretty much playing around, having fun. I was in media for a long time. I slammed. So uh, 2006, something happened, like a personal incident. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, come, you're ready to start. So I said, start what? He said, no, just come. So that's when I feel my training started. I didn't even know it was training. 2016, he said, okay, we're done now. Get out. I said, what do you mean we're done? He yeah. said, we finished 10 years. 
I said, oh yeah, we finished 10 years. He said, yeah, yeah you finished a program. Now you go out and you have to figure it out yourself. So I didn't know it was a 10-year program. I didn't know he was putting me through different phases. So during those 10 years, he taught me a lot and I learned a lot. And he showed me other teachers who I had to learn from. And he pointed me in different directions. Go learn this from this guy. Go learn. So that's how I got uh, my Reiki certification. I became a grandmaster. I learned pranic healing. I went and learned Thai yoga massage in Thailand. I continued my martial arts. I had stopped my martial arts. I continued mm -hmm. my martial arts and so many other things. What sort of martial arts did you do? So when I was young, as all kids do, we started with karate, mm -hmm. which is the most common form available for children. Subsequently, I got attracted to double dragon kung fu because of mm -hmm. watching some movies. Um, and then I was, I think, practicing some judo for some time, some kickboxing. 2008, 2007, 2008, with my teacher Shiva Subramaniam in India, I got introduced to the Japanese art of ninjutsu. Mm -hmm. So nin means to persevere, to keep going. So it attracted me a lot because it was similar to the yogic principles I was learning, similar to the tantric ideology of perseverance and uh, having uh, determination and having a strong heart, kudoshin, we call it in uh, Zen. Um, so that attracted me. So mm -hmm. 2008 onwards, I've been training in this martial art. 2010, I got my black belt, but the black belt means nothing. It's just a recognition that now they can hit you mm -hmm. harder. Yeah. <laughs> 2012, I came, moved to Dubai and started my dojo here. My rank then was assistant instructor, Shido Shi Ho. 2014, I got my fifth dan, and that's when I got my instructor's license. It's called Shido Shi. Mm -hmm. uh, do is the path. Like you hear a judo, karate do, mm. kendo, tai, taekwondo. Do means the path. So Shido Shi, she means four, all directions. She is path. So the one who's able to show... One who's certified to show the path of four directions to all is Shidoshi. Mm -hmm. It's a way of saying teacher. So I got my instructor's license in 2014. Then 2018, I got my master instructor's license, which is my 10th dan. Mm -hmm. The title there becomes Shihan. So these are honorary titles yeah. in our martial art, right? They're like saying um, professor or assistant PhD professor or, or doctorate. Yeah. They're honorary titles. Uh, the training and the knowledge still has to continue. You still have to play and you still yeah. have to train. So 2019, I got that. And thankfully, thanks to that, I, I got to visit Japan for 10 years every year Congratulations. for long trips. And uh, and on my trips to Japan, after finishing training with the grandmaster, who's still alive, 90 years old in Japan, wow. short Japanese man with beautiful purple hair, fantastic soul, throwing around the big Europeans like their toothpicks. You can Google him, Masaki Hatsumi, if you want. Uh, the system he put together is called Bujinkan. It includes nine schools of ancient martial traditions, three of which are samurai schools, nine of which are ninja schools. So the synthesized form is what I trained called Bujinkan. But because of my trips to Japan, I got to spend a lot of time with Zen monks at the monastery. So initially I started with Soto School of Zen. Then I moved to Rinzai School of Zen. And I there they gave me the title Dashi. Again, similar to Shidoshi. Mm -hmm. uh, means the one who can show the path. And this I got in 2015 or 16. Since then I've been leading Zazen classes in Dubai. Wow, you've had an incredible part. And... Um... Why martial art is so interesting to me because when I was growing up, I did a lot of martial arts as well. I did Bodokan Karate, Shotokan Karate, a little bit of like not not the traditional Taekwondo, but I would just practice with a lot of my friends. Was very interested in Shaolin Kung Fu. One of my dreams is to go to the Shaolin Monastery, pay my respects. And then as we moved on, I did a lot of MMA, Jiu Jitsu, um, wrestling. 
So martial arts is very um, near and dear to my heart. And uh, to see you achieve such great titles is just fascinating. No, no, no. There's no titles. This is the difference between martial sport and martial art. So except Shaolin Kung Fu, everything Shaolin Kung Fu, everything you named is martial sport. Okay. What's the difference between martial sport and martial art? Neither is good or bad. Mm-hmm. Martial sport has tournaments, cups, federations. Mm-hmm. Your growth is decided by your competitiveness to somebody else. Like pretty much the rest of the commercial cooperative yep. corporate world. Martial art, you, the only competition is you. The only one you have to be better than is who you were yesterday. That's why it's very similar to yoga. We have no competition, no cups, no tournaments, no federations, nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's an art. You're, you're creating movement, right? Of course, we have katas because those are the basic level of understanding how your body moves. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're not demonstrating that kata to somebody else for them to judge you whether you've done the kata right or not. Because in a real life application, you can never use that kata. All the martial sports guys and the topmost BJJ guys, they'll tell you, if somebody points a gun at you or a knife at you, Dubai is safe, it never happens. But if somebody points a gun or knife at you, give them your money. The topmost martial arts, martial sports athletes. So uh, it's important to understand this difference mm-hmm. between martial sports and martial arts. Neither is right or wrong. Shaol and Kung Fu is a martial art. They have no federation, no cup, no tournaments. It's not a sport. Mm-hmm. But as all the others you said, wrestling, BJJ, MMA, Shotokan Karate, it's all martial sport. Yep. Uh, borrowed from art. And nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in yoga today, there's sports yoga and there's yoga. Mm-hmm. Right? Sports yoga is limited to asana, which is posture, bending, flexibility, physical. Mm-hmm. Whereas yoga, only 1% of it is asana. Very interesting. Not even 1%, less. Thanks for sharing that. (laughs) When I think of martial arts, one of the things that my sensei used to tell me was like, every time I we were trying to practice this martial sports and um, I was not trying to get that sweep or like that roundhouse kick, most of the times when I was trying to approach something, he told me, approach it like a beginner's mind, right? And now that I couldn't understand when I was young. But as I transition through life and as I've been put into various life situations, whether it's about learning a new skill or, you know, being in a situation where I have to perform better, this thing keeps coming that, and now the Western world has also taken this up to a new level that, you know, you have to leave whatever you know and step into the unknown and um, progress with that because it becomes easier. Otherwise, you will just slow your progress down absolutely absolutely and doing that is something that a lot of people are scared about right going into the unknown and now that we're speaking about this your name translated if i'm correct me if i'm wrong it anjan is the unknown is that correct mm. your sensei is very wise mm-hmm. let me touch upon that and having a beginner's mind, not just in martial arts and everything is important. Because the minute you think you know, mm-hmm. that stops your growth. Yeah. If you have a constant state of realization, there are many things you don't know that you don't know. You don't even know that you don't know it. Mm-hmm. In any subject, in any topic. Of course, you might be fluent in something, but there's still things in that subject that you don't know. So in yoga, we don't have the pursuit of knowledge. Because knowledge is limited. Ignorance is unlimited. Right? Whatever knowledge we need, 
there is a path called Jnana Yoga. And that knowledge is not factual knowledge. It's a deep inner wisdom and understanding that comes from introspection, meditation, looking within, from truly just listening, from mauna, silence, deep inner silence. So knowledge, intellectual knowledge is not, not a pursuit at all. Mm-hmm. And anyway, in the next few years, since you're a biohacker, AI, they're going will to, AI will take over. They're going to implant chips on you, which is connected to the internet. Whatever you want to know, you can download immediately like the Matrix. You want to fly a helicopter, boom, you can fly a helicopter. So knowledge is going to become irrelevant. But the human interaction or jnana, the wisdom, the understanding, the experiential knowledge, that is going to become valuable. Mm-hmm. So your sensei was very wise. And that's why it's important to look at everything with a beginner's mind. With a, I don't know this. Or I might know this, but hey, can I be an empty cup and observe how can I do this better? Or what is it that I don't know that I don't know? Mm-hmm. So that's why we have mentors. That's why we have teachers. That's why my role is simply to show people perspectives that they have not seen before. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. That's all my job is. Just inspire them to look within more. What else mm-hmm. is my job? Nothing else. All the fancy titles, guide, guru, teacher, mentor, sensei, oh, it's, all that is stories. Mm-hmm. What is my role? To give you a perspective that you might have not thought of. Then your job to take that in or not take it in and then work on it and make it your own. Mm-hmm. So you had a question. So I had a question that your name is... Ah, the name. So I had the privilege to hang out with some Sufi saints mm-hmm. when I was very young, 21. And uh, we went through some dargahs and we went to different... Um, places singing and whirling and dancing so i was very uh, attracted to the concept of jiska jaan pehchan na ho which is the essence of our soul which is a hindi meaning for anjan mm-hmm. because you speak hindi you understand yeah. but it's a paradox which means the unknown but the goal of uh, a meditator or a yogi is to find out mm-hmm. who that is so i changed my name okay. in 2002 to anjan what was your name before i was born in this body with the name anjan A-N-J-A-N, which my grandfather was a bhakt of Hanuman, uh, Mm -hmm. the monkey god, whose other name is Anjaneya. I think I looked like a little monkey when I was born. Nothing much has changed. (laughs) Uh, I didn't have the tail. Um, So he said, oh, okay, let's name him Anjan. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that was my, the name I was born with in this body. Okay. So you added one more A to it. I added another A, yes. Okay. Did you look at any um, astrological knowledge or anything with... um, It's interesting you should ask this because I felt attracted to this name Mm -hmm. and it sounded really nice. And I was also on radio at that time, so it sounded cool on radio. Yeah. I was also a DJ, so DJ Anjan sounded cool. Wow, is there something that you haven't done? I can't cook. Okay. (laughs) Um, After a few years, after I changed my name... I started looking at all the astrological, numerological significance. And apparently, I went from four to five. I went from Mars to Mercury. I don't remember now. Mm -hmm. And apparently, it was supposed to give me more fortune and fame and luck and all that. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, great. Okay. (laughs) Why not? It was a few years after. But uh, but yeah, I did check it a few years after. And it seemed like it was a better name for me. Mm -hmm. Though there was one um, numerologist who said, no, 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 you should go back. I mean. Really, people have their opinions. Do you these do are sciences which uh, you need to study really in depth and it, they can keep changing as you change. Okay. Now, interesting when you spoke about like all these sacred spots and all these dargahs in March this year, I wanted to take a trip. Uh, I was already on a trip, but I wanted to explore all these geographical hotspots where 
you can either call them places of power. These are places where people go and they suddenly start feeling different vibrations. And in India, we have a few of them. So, um, yeah. I went to Rishikesh. And Rishikesh, for the people who don't know, is also being termed as the birthplace of yoga. And if you ever walk in Rishikesh, like after every three buildings, you will see a yoga school. And what was surprising was I did feel a lot of difference. I went to Haridwar, Rishikesh, Varanasi, just to sort of explore my spiritual side a bit more. And while I was in Rishikesh, everyone had all these different schools of yoga. And for me, for the longest period of time, I, have had, I haven't had much information or knowledge about it, but I've always been thinking about learning some sort of a Kundalini yoga. And what was funny was that every time I spoke to someone, they were like, oh, do you want to learn yoga? I had a few friends and they were like, can we book you in a class? And I was like, yeah, I want to go to a Kundalini class. And the first reaction that everyone had was like, why would you ever want to do that? And I'm like, why would I not? In Rishikesh? In Rishikesh. Okay. And I was like, why would I not want to do that? And every time, I think I could hardly find any Kundalini schools. But then people were telling me, you should stay away from Kundalini yoga. And that's not for you. And even if you did Kundalini yoga, chances are you're not going to be sane. So what's what's up with Kundalini yoga? Because you also... Are... Am I allowed to burst some bubbles? Please. This is what this podcast is all so about. So the first bubble I'd like to shift with CJ, see the pun, <laughs> is that to find your own spiritual self or to go deeper within yourself, it's great that you have the curiosity to go to Rishikesh, Haridwar, anywhere. But you can sit right here and figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's the first realization you have. I'm not saying don't go. Enjoy. Yep. Enjoy life. Travel as much as you want. Uh, go to as many people's places, meet as many people. But the purpose need not be the curiosity of finding yourself. The curiosity of finding yourself is right here, right now. No other place. I am where my, my ashram is where I am. Mm-hmm. I am Rishikesh. I am Haridwar. I am everything. Wherever I want to be, I am now. So that's the first shift I'd like you to have. I'm not saying don't be curious and go there and explore, meet the people, enjoy the culture, eat the food, yes. But not in the guise of spiritual seeking. Energy center, the most powerful energy center is inside. Mm-hmm. The earth has geographical energy centers, which you can just touch the earth and get connected. It's one big ball. Mm-hmm. It's not separate. So don't see it as separate. Only humans are making these boundaries. Those don't exist in real life. What we call borders. Mm-hmm. Right? That's one. To Rishikesh is great. It's become a bit commercial in my likes. Has a powerful energy. And you have to have the discernment to see who is authentic and who is doing it just as a business. Mm-hmm. So this is discernment is learned with experience and wisdom. So have a guide or have a teacher who can point you to the right places. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you will be lost yep. and you will get comments like what you got. Mm-hmm. Now coming to your main question of Kundalini. Let's understand what is this Kundalini. Kundalini is your life force energy which exists within you. When you're born, it's infused into your physical body. When your physical body no longer can exist, it moves from your physical body. Uh, Kundalini is also the life force energy that runs the universe. You can give it many names. The yogis simply call it Kundalini. All yoga, all asana-based yoga, 
and non-asana based yoga. Well, let's for sorry to interrupt you, but just for the listeners, asana are the poses. Asana means posture. Yes, like we are sitting in an asana now. He's sitting in an asana. You are standing or sitting in an asana. Hmm. Asana simply means posture. Another term, another meaning of asana is throne. But we'll get that to it a bit later. Sure. Uh, Singhasana, like king's mm-hmm. throne, right? So all yoga practices is designed to make you more sensitive to your kundalini. All yoga is kundalini. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a genius. His name is Yogi Bhajan. He took the concepts to the West, Canada, I think. Mm-hmm. And he formed a lineage called Kundalini Yoga, mm-hmm. which now popularly in the West and even in Dubai, they wear white turbans and they do a lot of spinal movements. They yes. wear white turbans because Yogi Bhajan was practicing Sikhism. Mm-hmm. So he took all the Sanskrit mantras and made it into Punjabi. Okay. So Om became a Kumkar. Right? Satguru became Satnam, Vaheguru. Mm-hmm. So all the Sanskrit words became Punjabi words. That's why I call him a genius. He modified it to his lineage, his culture, his religion. And he called it Kundalini Yoga. But we call it Yogi Bhajan Kundalini Yoga. There are many other proponents of Kundalini as such. There's a Shri M who propagates Kundalini. There's Ma Mata Amritanamai who practice, uh, who propagates Kundalini. There's uh, Kundalini Research Institute. Mm-hmm. There's so many different, uh, what do you say, uh, lineages that are exploring the Theosophical Society, Annie Blessing. They were playing with Kundalini, right? Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's so many, so many different yeah. teachers. The Osho, Osho's Kundalini had a different flavor to get, uh, to reach uh, the state of Kundalini sensitivity and awareness. But all yoga in general is designed to make you sensitive to your own Kundalini Shakti. Shakti means energy. Okay. So there's nothing so there's not good like, or bad. Okay. Uh, there are techniques which will make you pop like a champagne. So mm-hmm. the Kundalini sensitivity could There are techniques which will make you slowly get sensitized to it. So you've got to choose careful techniques. You've got to choose masters who know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You've got to choose teachers who have experienced it and not just uh, seen it on the internet or read about it on the internet or seen a YouTube video and understand what Kundalini is. So this is discernment in finding your teacher. That's all. Kundalini itself is neither right or wrong. Why would someone want to increase their sensitivity, sensitivity or just make them pop like... Does it have also... No, you don't need to make it pop. That's not the function of Kundalini. Uh, sensitivity you increase because that's how you get familiar with all the vibrations that exist in you. Mm-hmm. So every cell in your body is vibrating. How aware are you of that? Forget, forget awareness of energy. When you take a breath in, if you're, if you're listening to us now, close your eyes and take a breath in. And then figure out how much sensitivity of your breath do you have. Of course, you feel it in your nose. You feel it going through your windpipe. You feel it in your lungs expanding. Mm. Then if you're a bit trained in some pranayama, which is breathing exercises, mm. then you feel it in your diaphragm. You feel it in your abdomen. You feel it in your lower abdomen. You feel it in your belly. Can you then take a few more breaths and see if you can feel the oxygen reaching every single cell? Because scientifically, you know, the oxygen reaches every cell. So why aren't you able to feel it? The neurons are there. The brain connections are there. The neural interfaces are there. So what is stopping you from feeling the oxygen reaching every cell? And then the toxins in the form of carbon dioxide and other gases being removed from the cells, coming out through your blood vessels and through your artery, uh, through your veins, back to your heart and being 
disseminated back into your alveoli, into your lungs and coming out through your nose. And this process happens in a split of a second. The entire game is to become more sensitive. Mm -hmm. So forget sensitivity towards Kundalini. Start sensitivity towards breath. Then sensitivity towards taste as you eat your food. Then sensitivity towards sight. The minute you're interested in increasing your sensitivity, automatically you will start getting more sensitive to your own Kundalini. And does sensitive, increasing sensitivity increase your, let's say, power? Because when you talk about cells and you talk about oxygenation... There's no need to increase power. You get reminded mm -hmm. of your power. No need to increase anything. You're very powerful. You get reminded of it. You get clarity. Mm -hmm. You get level-headedness. You let go of all the drama. You let go of imagination from the future which is causing you anxiety and worry you let go of memories from the past which is causing you uh, trouble and uh, tension and you exist here and now because you feel and you remember but then we have two sets of the population right one set of the population and a big part of them not being able to perform at their highest potential is because of the same reasons that you mentioned, some things from the past, some things from the future, something worrying. Why, why bother about this set of the population? The only one you have to bother about is you. But then how do you increase, like your, let's say, if you are operating at a 70% capacity, let's say, right, whether it's in your cognition, whether it's in your heart function, whether it's in your athletic performance, most of the people who might be attracted to yoga and a lot of people do not want to go the esoteric route. See, that's the thing. We don't In yoga, we don't care about most of the people, a lot of the people. Mm -hmm. I told you, we are the experiment and we are the experimenter. So if every human functions in making themselves a better version of themselves, even these percentages will cease to exist. Percentage is a intellectual understanding, 70%, 80%, 90%. It's okay. You can gauge it. But no need. You sit, you're 100%. Okay, let me take the example of something easier. Say, say you're watching a beautiful sunset. Yeah. Okay, and at that moment of the sunset, the sky is turning into a million colors. Okay, um, the waves are crashing against you, and you can hear the beautiful sound of the ocean. The wind is slowly blowing on your face. Now, at that moment, when the sun is setting, and it's a hundred different colors: red, yellow, orange, purple, violet, lilac, blue. Do you remember your name mm -hmm. or have you merged with the sunset? Do you remember your identity? My job, I'm a podcaster. My podcast is called Shift with CJ. I'm a meditation teacher. I'm a guru. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a whatever. Do you remember any of that? Mm, no. At that moment, you're just merging with the sunset. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any of your past worries and anxieties? Do you remember any of your future tensions? Nothing exists. For a split second, no. You can extend that split second. Yeah. So this is a state that happens to all humans. Right? Mm -hmm. If you want to call it in the West, you can call this a 100% state. It yeah. happens to all humans. In yoga, we just don't want to leave it to chance. Mm -hmm. We want to tell, dear destiny, I'm ready now. Mm -hmm. And we want to take control and be able to hack, biohack, biohack this state anytime we choose, anywhere we choose, any moment we choose. That's all. And then we train to sustain it, sustain it, sustain it, sustain it, sustain it. Mm -hmm. That is practice. That is training. Mm -hmm. That is called Kriya. Okay. That's all it is. It's very simple. So this concept of somebody else is not there, half of the world, it doesn't bother a yogi. Mm -hmm. If I can hack this within myself 
and have this inner dimension awaken and the remembrance happen within myself, I don't even need to tell somebody else. The light will just shine. And what, let's say a lot of people who are listening to this show right now might be very curious. There are so many different types of meditation, so many different types of yoga. No, and no, 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 stop there. There is no different types of meditation. Okay. Because their meditation becomes a, a verb. Mm-hmm. It's not something you do. There are many, many tools to reach the meditative state. Like sunset is a beautiful tool. Mm-hmm. Call it sunset meditation if you want. Mm-hmm. Drinking water is another beautiful tool. Call it drinking water meditation. Similarly, you can have full moon meditation, heartfulness meditation, gratitude meditation, sunrise meditation, walking meditation, seated meditation, candle gazing meditation, sound meditation, sound healing. You understand what I'm saying? So the tools are different. The state you reach is the same. It's the same with yoga. There are many, many different asana, posture schools with different flows, different vinyasa. All of them come from hatha. Hatha means balancing your um, dimensions that we call nadis. These are energy channels through which Kundalini flows. So balancing your right side with your left side. Hakaram Thakaram is ha, tha, mm-hmm. yoga. So all asana-based practices come from hatha. Okay. Right? Very interesting thing that you said about the, you know, looking at the sun, looking at the moon, full moon meditation. We also know that most of the times... When there is, um, like, let's say, let's look at the scientific people, right? A lot of studies come out. No, no, yogis are very scientific. Yeah, but let's look at the (laughs) scientific people who are, like, wearing lab coats. Many scientists are yogis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They just don't know that. Of course, they don't practice asana. Yeah. But they're yogis because they're coming to the same conclusions that the scientists of that day were called yogis. That's all. But a lot of misconception that happens is most of the times you would see studies coming out and studies change every year. They would tell you that we have taken into account all the variables and this is the result. And in the Western world, most of the variables that people take in are what they can see and observe. But a lot of the times what happens is they don't see whether they're experimenting on an animal or a human model that who was the researcher? Was the researcher a woman or a man? Because that by itself... And how were they feeling that day? How was they feeling that That day? day, Another big thing that happens, because this is when a woman feeds a mice, their results completely change. And that's okay, no? Let them have the results. But there's another interesting thing that comes up all the time. It is they don't even look at the phase of the moon. And that is a very big variable because we know that... I have a dog, for everyone who knows, you didn't see him, he was downstairs. And every time on a full moon day... I have to be very careful because there is about a 28% higher chance of dogs visiting emergency rooms. Things also happen around the world. And this has been constant, right? Mental hospitals are more busy. Policemen are more busy. There are more crimes. Deep sleep could reduce by 30%. There are just so many things happening when there is a full moon. And you also teach a meditation on the full I moon lead, day. I lead. You lead a meditation. Nothing to teach. Okay, you lead a meditation <laughs> on a full moon day. So what really goes on on this full moon day? For See, we're, who's we're, we're all celestial beings. Mm-hmm. Okay, why are we celestial beings? Because you're part of the celestial dynamics. Very small part, but still a part. So of course, we have connection with the planets and the moon and the sun and the solar system and the galaxy and even further on. 
So since we're part of this universe, that's the first recognition we need to have as humans. We see ourselves as individual. We don't even see that tree as part of us. That's why we cut the tree. Forget tree. We don't see the other human as part of us. That's why we hurt the other human. Mm-hmm. So this universal kind of outlook is the first thing humans have to receive. Once you receive this, then you start becoming sensitive to planets' energies, to moon's energies. Moon in Vedic astrology is a planet. So you start getting sensitive to all the celestial bodies' energies. And then you figure out ways to match your energies to those bodies. So if in a moon cycle you feel like you need to be more rested, listen to it. We are also cyclical beings. Right? Um, That is one aspect. The second aspect is, remember that all the research you read that people can't sleep, werewolves are howling on full moon, my dog is giving me stress, I myself find myself a bit more tense. Mm -hmm. You have to evaluate if it's real or if it's drama. Most of the time, if you do honest evaluation to yourself, you will recognize it's drama. And where is the drama coming from? It's coming from having read, oh, on full moon, I'm supposed to feel emotional. Having seen some video and absorbed it blindly, oh, on full moon, I'm supposed to feel certain emotions and I'm supposed to let go and I'm supposed to have this uh, phase of cleansing. So it's not a real experience. So my advice is, even what I am saying, even what anybody says on any YouTube channel or anywhere, First, observe if it's for you before you absorb. Mm -hmm. This is the art of discernment. You don't have to accept everything blindly. You have to grow up. That is your job. Mm -hmm. Accepting blindly is okay. That's a baby. You don't have to be childish. You just be child. Mm -hmm. So hear like a child. Then decide. Is this for me? Is this not for me? People get emotional in full moon. Is this for me? It's not for me. Nothing happens to me. Nothing happens to my dog and my two cats. They're fine. So, with your dog, of course, he's reading your energy. Mm -hmm. So, maybe it's not his fault. Maybe you're driving this into him. Mm -hmm. This fear of, oh, on full moon, he'll behave in a certain way. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying. It's your dog, so you know. All I'm saying is, whatever you receive, Mm -hmm. any knowledge, any information, any perspective, any idea, any opinion, observe before you absorb. Don't make it yours immediately. Okay. We'll have that thing noted. Observe before you absorb. Thanks for teaching us that. Because otherwise, you just take it in and it becomes part of who you are. And it becomes, you think it's your opinion. You think it comes from your internal experience. No. It's from somewhere you've gathered and you've just kept it. Observation on it. Mm-hmm. So it becomes who you are. So question. Question everything. Scientific mindset. Mm-hmm. That's why I say yogis are scientists. We question everything. Why? What is chakra? I don't believe in chakras. Mm-hmm. In everything. You don't have to believe anything. Mm-hmm. Somebody says chakras. Oh, what is chakra? Kundalini. I've never experienced it. Question it. Mm-hmm. Experience it. Great. You don't have to question it anymore. Mm-hmm. If you don't experience it and you're interested, keep questioning. A lot of the times, people have heard about chakras and a lot of conversations that I've been in are being centered around I you know, flow energy through all my chakras in a better way. You cannot. Okay. You can do anything. <laughs> Let go of this idea that you have control and just become sensitive. Mm-hmm. You can't even, once you eat uh, a mango, you can't even decide. 
that is going to become your body. You don't even have control over your digestion system. How can you have control over your chakra system? You don't have control over your respiration, your digestion, your neurological system, your endocrinal system. Do you have any control? No. So why this illusion, I have control over my chakras? No. Your job is to get sensitive. And with that sensitivity, the minute, for example, if you get sensitive of breath, you have a bit more control. It's not even control. You have a bit more alignment with how you're supposed to breathe. You skillfully breathe. Similarly, when you eat mindfully and when you chew your food and when you relish the food and when it digests, you skillfully eat. So you're in alignment with the process of digestion. Similarly, when you skillfully get sensitive to your chakras, you're in alignment with how they're flowing and they're in alignment. That's all. You can't control them. It's great that you bring up digestion because I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast or I've had a conversation with someone. But what Anjan just said was that you have to be aligned in the processes that lead up to an outcome, let's say digestion. And what I see time and time again with most people is that A, people don't spend enough time eating food. They don't spend enough time chewing food properly. And most of the times what people do is that they would eat in a stressed out state. Now, according to what a lot of medical journals will tell you is that every time you, you just, you know, you're grabbing a lunch and grabbing and go and you're not giving yourself the time to sit down, connect with the food and sort of like relax your nervous system. Yeah, relax your nervous system. Then your stress levels go high, body like plasma cortisol levels go increase. And then that's when digestion is also inhibited. So a lot of the times I would tell people like, you know, people after their gym, they would have a protein shake or they would just run up to get a meal. And I always tell them like, please calm down because you are in a very fight or flight state of a nervous system. And unless and until you can bring that down first, your body wouldn't be ready for digestion. So it's also an, like, let's say, order of processes. This is a simple practice in, in, in of course, uh, now it's gone to the West. But it's a simple Zen practice of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Okay? Where you're mindful of every action that you do. Shogunai is what the Japanese monks used to tell me. Which means, let go of things you're not in control of. And focus on the things that you can make a change. So when you're eating, you can only chew. You can make sure you masticate. You can make sure you eat small portions. You can make sure you swallow before you take the next bite. That's all you have control of. Shogunai, don't worry about the rest. Because you have no control over the rest. But as long as you do this, the rest will take care of itself. So this is mindfulness. You could be reading a book. Why do you have your Instagram open? You could be gardening. Why do you have uh, your television on? You could be cooking. Why do you have the radio on? Right? Mm -hmm. We could be doing a podcast. He's not taking phone calls or being distracted or reading a book or anything. So if you can have this kind of focused mindfulness and even a hyper focus, you will be more productive. You will get more done in less time. You will be happier. You will not have worries because you get your things done. Your goals will be met because you're able to pay attention to meeting them. You're able to reverse engineer your goals and hit your goalposts and your milestones. So overall, you will get abundance. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness leads to abundance. And what's the hack to mindfulness? Because a lot of people do have their Instagram phones on and a lot of people would be 
trying to multitask, which also we know that doesn't really work. We think that we can multitask, but it's not efficient. So a hack is just conscious living, intentional, deliberate action. Dharana. Mm-hmm. Intentional, deliberate action. You have to put in action that is conscious, deliberate and inspired. So if it is none of these, then why are you even doing that action? Right. Mm-hmm. So mindlessly scrolling is the opposite of mindfully checking social media. Mm-hmm. So this is every human's evolution and growth. It works because that human has today decided I'm no longer going to operate at a mindless, unaware level. I'm going mm-hmm. to be alert. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to be aware. I'm going to be digil- diligent and I'm going to be vigilant. Mm-hmm. Vigilance is the key. And that's just from taking the decision within yourself. You have to take the decision. First, you have to see value in that decision. Mm -hmm. So not many people see value in vigilance. Mm -hmm. But the value could be if you see the most successful people in the world, the wealthiest people in the world, the calmest and the most peaceful people in the world, whatever your measure of your next level is, if you want to level up Mm -hmm. and you see, okay, this person is successful, how do I be like him? You will recognize this one quality. Mm-hmm. They're all vigilant. They're mm-hmm. all alert. They're all aware. Mm-hmm. And they never, they rarely act mindlessly. They're mm-hmm. pretty much always in a mindful state of action, mm-hmm. inspired action. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. You also teach something else, which is very interesting, which is Tantra. And when most people hear about the word Tantra, they would often think about the tantric sex. Do you get that often when you're when you have conversations about people with tantra? In fact, I might even have a book on my bookshelf which says tantric practices for men or it was something like this. Something I picked up in India. I can't find it here. It should be should be somewhere around. But regardless, now tantric practices. When you talk about when you talk to mostly Indians who have some sort of a background of tantric. Um, tantrism or tantric people we don't really think about the sex part we really think about the a certain appearance or a certain black magic black magic or you know you have those uh, the skull people hanging out with the skulls but in the west most of tantra is regarded to oh how can i you know enhance my sexual performance or libido testosterone or things like that so i want to know what is tantra really so in the essence um Tan means everything to do with your physical dimension. Tana means body, even in Hindi and Sanskrit. Tan, 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 tan. tan. Um, Tra comes from trayoti, which is expansion. So expanding your physical dimension is tantra. Mm -hmm. So it is a set of embodied practices so that you can live a more embodied life. Now, what is embodied? For example, if your life force leaves your body, and you're lying there dead, or your body is lying there dead, that's called disembodied, mm-hmm. right? That is the extreme state of disembodiment. But as humans, we are in multiple states of disembodiment. Through Tantra, you align all of this, and you become completely embodied, so that every cell of yours, every atom of, of yours is bursting with ecstasy, mm-hmm. and with exuberance, and with joy, mm-hmm. and with the just the thrill of uh, living... Mm, uh, skillfully. So is that um, 
Does that mean that you have more Kundalini or more life force, more prana, more energy no running more to yourself? Less. No more or less. Everybody okay. has equal amount of Kundalini. Everybody has equal amount of prana. But your sensitivity to that obviously increases when you practice some of the Kriyas in Tantra. Kriya means actions or tools mm-hmm. or techniques. Mm-hmm. So in, in essence, that's what Tantra is. Now, the West, when I say the West, I don't mean geographically, I mean mm-hmm. ideologically, has taken just parts of it. In fact, even the Kama in Kama Sutra doesn't mean lust. Mm-hmm. Kama means desiring skillful living. Kama Sutra is actually a great book that teaches you how to have very cordial and pleasant relationships. It teaches you how to be kind, loving, uh, how to give the other person pleasure, how to be concerned, how to take care of their needs. This is what the book is teaching in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's a book of virtues. So it's not only about positions. It's not only about positions. No, it's about virtues. And in the context of a couple or partners, it teaches you how to be loving to each other mm-hmm. with a variety of uh, physical postures that you can intermingle together and expand as two units becoming one. So the West, again, when I say West, not geographically, ideologically, Mm -hmm. has just taken one small portion of it. And they think Tantra means sexual acrobatics, which is okay. Let Mm -hmm. them practice that. But Tantra is all about lovemaking. Mm -hmm. But the lovemaking is not limited to your genitals. Mm-hmm. Every cell in your body is capable of lovemaking. So, for example, when you're drinking some water as a tantric, you explore and you expand. Can your mouth make love to the glass? Can your tongue make love to the water? Can the water, as it grows into your body, make love to your food pipe? And then your stomach. And then as it disseminates through the rest of your body, can the water reach every cell of you? Make love to every cell. Mm-hmm. This is Tantra. And are there different schools of Tantra? Because what happened, I mean, the way I look at it as we gathered as humans a lot of the information, you know, when we were cavemen, there were some scriptures on the caves. Then it went on to, we had some logical writing system. First, it was passed down from a generation to the generation, lineages to lineages. So you have like some lineages telling some secrets to only their sons and grandsons. And then those people would go and whisper in someone else's ear. Then there were leaves that things yeah, were recorded called, on. This is called Shruti, spoken word, or mm-hmm. Agamat, stuff that's not written down. So, of course. But in the tantric way... All, all of tantra is only like this. There's no written text for tantra. There's no written text. So, Kama Sutra is just happens to be one Kama of those... Kama Sutra is a text. It's not really a tantric school text. It's a text on how to... Like I said mm-hmm. a few minutes ago, it's on how to really be loving and kind, how to practice skillful partnership, how to be the best partner you can for your loved one. That's what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a tool book. Mm-hmm. It's like how to be loving for dummies. Mm-hmm. And do you think <laughs> in, in the history, we lost some of these other things that tantrics might no, have? No, no, no. The lineages have been staying alive. Mm-hmm. So there are many lineages. They're not so much schools. There are many lineages. The West today calls it white, red, pink, yellow tantra. Mm-hmm. This is again ideologically a limited understanding. Nothing wrong with it, but this is their understanding, which mm-hmm. is okay. In the um, esoteric schools of um, the Indian subcontinent, why I say Indian subcontinent, India, present-day India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, um, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Pakistan. Uh, China, Mongolia, all have different 
lineages, and these different lineages are still alive. Uh, some of them are even flourishing even more now than they flourished 4,000 years ago. There's new temples, new activities, more people now practicing it. Remember that Tantra came in because of a rebel-like quality of yogis. Mm -hmm. The yogis who didn't want to conform to rules became tantrics. And what were the rules like? The rules were you need to practice austerity, you need to live away from your family, you need to have a brahmacharya status, you need to go and live in the mountain, you need to renounce. So many, so many rules came. Mm -hmm. Because when you structure anything, rules come. The real yogis never followed these rules anyway. They still exist. You'll see them at the Kumbh Mela. They're called Naga Babas. I was able to go to the Kumbh Mela as well. Very nice. So you must have seen yeah. the Naga Babas, the Nath Yogis, yeah. the Siddhas, the Giris. So many, so many lineages are there. Mm -hmm. They don't follow any rules. They say you and your rules. They don't follow any religion. Yogis are not Hindu or Muslim. Hinduism is new. Yoga is old. Yogis don't have nationality. They don't have religion. They don't have caste, creed, anything. They have lineages based on what their teachers taught them. That's it. The lineage just shows you what type of kriyas or tools you're practicing. So Tantra came about with the need to rebel. Mm -hmm. Historically, if you see, pedagogically, if you see, that's how it came about. Saying, I'm not interested in going, staying in the mountain. I want to have my wife and my kids and my family and my material possessions. And still I want to be the same level of bliss, peace, pleasure and ecstasy. How can I do that? Is that, that is how you, uh, in your work, you mention um, the Shiva's path and the Buddha's path Oh, yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, so, exactly, exactly, exactly that. So desires are there. You either you renounce the desire mm -hmm. and you find liberation. Desires are there. You fulfill the desire and you find liberation. That's it. So the monks who follow Theravada, Vajrayana, Mahayana Buddhism, mm -hmm. they follow the Buddha's path, which is renouncement. Which is letting go of everything. Which is renouncement of all desires. The desire to let go of all desire also needs to be renounced. Interesting. So this is Buddhism. This, if you follow, it's a powerful path of liberation. But if you live in a city, if you have bills to pay, if you have a job, if you have a girlfriend, if you have a boyfriend, if you have material, if you have a phone, if you have clothes that you have to wear, if you have a car, you cannot practice renouncement. Mm -hmm. So Tantra is the science for modern day. Okay. Because we no longer need to live in the mountains. We can have the same feeling sitting on this couch. So, Tantra is the most relevant today compared to what it was 5,000 years ago. Yoga, in fact, is not as relevant as Tantra. Yoga has become an asana practice today. It's become a postural practice. The essence of yoga, it's being revived by many teachers who are saying, yeah. hey, go beyond asana, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Which are the eight limbs of yoga. That is Patanjali's version. Okay. That's not the... No, no. Patanjali was a great sage. I mean, he wrote the Yoga Sutras mm -hmm. as a um, pathway to quickly find liberation, which he calls Kaivalya. Mm -hmm. So the eight limbs of Patanjali's yoga lead to Kaivalya. But there's many other kind of uh, thought schools okay. behind yoga. Patanjali is accepted because everybody who finishes your two-and-hour TTC think of only Patanjali. Because that's what they te that's all you can teach in 200 hours. Okay. Right? When you finish 10 years with a guru, you learn so much more. Mm -hmm. So, explore, expand, and then figure out. Patanjali's eight limbs are itself very powerful. You can just use that. Mm 
So there is a text. It's called uh, Vijnana Bhairava Tantra. Mm-hmm. It's the name of the text. Okay. This the folklore says that Shiva gave these hundred and eight techniques to Parvati, his wife, for enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Or rather, he gave it to seven of his students, seven Saptarishi, and Parvati overheard and wrote the book. Hundred and eight techniques. He is detailed there. Mm-hmm. You can choose any one. and find liberation mm-hmm. they say the buddha took half of one and found it buddhism and found his path he took half of one of these 108 so there are many many paths why are we all heading towards liberation liberation is one word of saying it you can call it emancipation you can call it nirvana you can call it enlightenment you can mm-hmm. call it merging yoga union but at the end of the day when you start the path of a seeker you will be troubled the trouble comes till then ignorance is bliss when you start the path of the seeker like you've started questions like why am i here what is my purpose who am i going to serve why do people die where was i before i was born who am i am i this body or am i the one observing this body what happens to me after i die is there rebirth is there afterbirth so there's a set of 100 questions Mm-hmm. which every seeker is troubled with mm-hmm. and every time you answer a question you reach a bit of liberation so you keep answering questions till you answer all of them and you have no more questions mm-hmm. those in general are called enlightened beings mm-hmm. i still have so many questions but this is what i tell my students i'm a beginner too in this path of seekership i just began before you how many lifetimes do you need for enlightenment can you achieve enlightenment in one See, lifetime see the concept of lifetimes again is a theory I've been through past life regression sessions and I've seen my past lives. But do I believe in it completely? I don't know was it my imagination or was it the power of the hypnotherapist or was I really in a past life? I was a Japanese daimyo or king, a samurai warrior in one of my past lives. Was I really there or is it just my connection with Japan that made all this imagination come by? I don't know yet. I will tell you when I leave this body whether past life and future life exists. So yoga doesn't bother about these things. Mm-hmm. how many lives how many incarnations how many lifetimes none of this right here right now find liberation that's all mm-hmm. one of the other ways a lot of people move or one of the conversations that have been striking a lot thank you is the conversation about karma mm. <laughs> and a lot of people will just use i think this word has lost its power because now people just use it all the time and most of the people if you ask them what is karma they can't explain they cannot explain and they all want to talk about karma so what do you think in your personal opinion is karma is there a way to like you know advance in our karmic uh, way of living are there any tools tips tricks that the listeners can take in so unpopular opinion your entire understanding of karma is misinterpretation by books you've read by youtube videos you've seen and by the common usage oh it's bad karma yeah exactly <laughs> the concept of karma predominantly accepted in the west again ideologically not geographically when i say west is that you do good you get good you do bad you get bad right now this seems ridiculous to me because so many people who are doing bad are doing so well in life mm-hmm. so many people who are doing good are suffering mm-hmm. so that 
base of that itself is ridiculous. Then that's added on with, oh, previous life he did good. So this life he's enjoying. Mm -hmm. Sounds even more ridiculous to me. I don't even know if previous life exists. Yogis are practical people. I don't know. I only know now. Now he's suffering. Now he's enjoying. Mm -hmm. Karma to explain simply, uh, for lack of better word in English, is gravity. Things that gravitate towards each other have said to have karma for each other. For example, when you plant a mango seed, mm -hmm. you will only get a mango tree. Mm -hmm. The karma of the mango seed is to become a mango tree. It will never become a coconut tree. Mm -hmm. That is the karma of the mango seed. But along with karma, there's another concept called phala or fruit. Mm -hmm. It's the karma phala concept. Mm -hmm. Karma is itself only 50%. Mm -hmm. Karmaphala is the full concept. The Bhagavad Gita, which is a great text, has very detailed verses and kind of um, knowledge giving wisdom on Karmaphala, mm -hmm. which is action-reaction or action-fruit. Mm -hmm. You plant a mango seed, there is no guarantee it will become a tree. The seed might be eaten by uh, a squirrel mm -hmm. the small plant might be dug by a cat the medium plant might be killed by a cow might be a drought something uh, yeah, yeah. The environmental tree factors might, might, there might be a drought there might be no rain the big tree might be cut by a woodcutter mm -hmm. so what is the guarantee that that mango seed will become a mango tree no guarantee but the mango seed will only become a mango tree that is guarantee that is karma mm -hmm. right so in yoga there's many types of karma Prarabdha karma, san, so many types of karma. Yeah. So for example, you having curly hair, mm. this is your karma. In that sense, it's a genetic memory that you have mm -hmm. from your great-grandfather. Did you decide? No. So they call this karma in mm. yoga. So my skin color being brown is my karma. Mm -hmm. But today many people want to go to tanning stations and get my skin color mm. to change their karma. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're just getting radiation. Go to the sun if you want my color. You still won't get it. Mm. So, the concept of karma is simply what you gravitate towards. I gravitated, my body naturally gravitated towards brown skin color. That's the karma of my skin color. So, everything in your life has a karma? Everything in life is something you gravitate to. Mm -hmm. What you gravitate to is the karma. It's gravity. Mm -hmm. Our karma is to be on earth. That's why we're not sky beings. We're earth beings. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Right? So that's why gravity holds us down. Gravity again. So if you see karma with this lens of gravity, it becomes very easy to understand. So, for example, if you have a job and you feel gravitating towards that, like you're fulfilled by it, you're practical, practical stuff, huh? because I'm a practical yogi. Yeah. You feel fulfilled by it, you feel passionate by it, people around there are supporting you, you're growing, it's giving you money, it's giving you joy, it's giving you happiness. That is your karma. Mm -hmm. That is your purpose. Meanwhile, if you have a job where you're really tired, you're sick of it, you're bored, you're disgusted, people are not nice to you, mm -hmm. you're not performing, you're not enjoying, or any of those elements, you're not gravitating towards that. Mm -hmm. So either you can change the job or change yourself. If you change yourself, you compromise and enjoy the job, which is also your karma. Mm -hmm. But will you really be happy if you change yourself? Why not? That is your karma. You understand? The gravitation towards mm -hmm. happiness has not come to you yet. Mm -hmm. Your gravity is more towards the security of the job. Mm -hmm. When you gravitate towards happiness, happiness becomes your karma. What's the hack to happiness then? There is no hack to happiness. No need to hack happiness. 
Mm-hmm. Yogis don't pursue happiness. Or so then we the pursue yogis. relaxation. <laughs> okay. When you're relaxed, you're able to become more sensitive. You're able to have clarity. You're able to think without any brain fog, mm-hmm. without any indoctrination. Mm-hmm. You're able to think abundantly. You're able to feel joyous and abundant, mm-hmm. and that will give you decisions that come from clarity, which you do not regret, mm-hmm. which help you to grow, to push your goals forward, to level up in your life. And those decisions will give you happiness. Okay, so, so no need to chase happiness. So no, yeah, okay. so, so chasing happiness is not the... It's futile. What about contentment? What is contentment? Contentment is santosha. You can be content every moment. It doesn't mean you stop growing. Contentment doesn't mean, okay, I'm content, so I'm going to lie down and not do any action. No, it doesn't mean inaction. It means being content with where you are at the same time, having the desire to keep growing. Because if you don't grow, you're decaying. It's either growth or decay. This is the only thumb rule we Mm -hmm. have in yoga. Yoga doesn't have any morality. There's no good or bad. Like I was telling you before, Mm -hmm. there's no, this is good. This is bad. There's only, does it help me grow? Does it help me decay? Mm -hmm. You decide. So contentment comes from knowing that where I am, I am complete. I still need to grow. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I'm, I don't have santosha. That's the Sanskrit word for contentment. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean inaction. Doesn't mean inert living. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean laziness. Doesn't mean procrastination. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am, I'm content, so I don't want to grow. No, that's not contentment. That's laziness. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. We've almost reached to the end of this interview. And, <laughs> we you know, might time have to do just, a part two. Huh? <laughs> we should do a part two, in fact. And I promise, like, uh, yeah, we'll speak about this offline and arrange another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but before you go... You've had experiences from so many different things, right? Like you were a DJ, a radio presenter. And for for most of the things that people might be interested in, you know, with the martial arts and Zen facilitator, can you tell us like one practical tip? And also he's a practical yogi. You guys by now know it. I, um, I'm, I'm the bio, he's the hacker. Yeah. We, Biohacker. This was a coincidence, but he pointed out well to it. He's on the bio side, I'm on the hacker side. So my hacker mentality mm, yeah, is... Yeah, you want to hack everything. Is, it's not even about... yeah. I, w- no, I want to reduce y- the time Yogis frame. are hackers. Uh-huh. Yogis are the master hackers. They hacked everything. Mm. <laughs> I just feel that there is two paths to getting to a destination, right? And mm. then I think some teachings of Buddha also Why he mentioned this. The there's multiple paths. There could be, but there's a slow path and there's a fast path. And slow path. Slow and fast again is relative. I told you, yogis don't have relativity. In Zen, we have a beautiful saying, the mountain doesn't think it's tall or short. Only Mm -hmm. we say tall mountain, short mountain. The mountain just is. Mm -hmm. You're comparing it with other mountains you've seen. Mm -hmm. So if you compare two paths, you can have fast and slow. But maybe the one you think slow is better for you. So fast and slow is not the comparison there. Okay. Right? Which is growth, which is decay. This This is the polarity you work with. Don't work with morality, work with polarity. So work towards growth all growth, the time. That's it. Whichever path gives you growth, take that path. It might be slow, it might be fast. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But don't you waste a lot of time if you... Because when you're like... Again, this say, is the productivity indoctrination. Waste a lot of time. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that time? And why do you think you're going to waste time? Learn pranayama, learn yogic techniques, live to 150 years. And as a biohacker, anyway, they're going to download your consciousness onto some device and you can live for 500 years. They're going to learn how to cryo-freeze your brain. So what Mm. are you worried about? Where is this lack of time indoctrination coming from? I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm not saying don't have urgency. Mm -hmm. Have patient urgency. 
know that things take time when you plant the mango seed you can say i don't have time i want it overnight mm-hmm. of course technology might do that but you got to wait for 30 years for the mango seed to go to mango tree right mm-hmm. this is but you have to urgently plant it you have to urgently water it you have to urgently protect Take it. Care of it so that's patient urgency or urgent patience mm-hmm. knowing that things take their time so this indoctrination of i need to get it done now is i need to work hard i don't have to take a break is productivity indoctrination it's come from the military grade thinking mm-hmm. which is do it do it soldier on soldier on mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't soldier on we relax <laughs> okay how do you can you share with us like a technique like let's say from pranayama or like mm. yoga that can help us relax mm. relaxation since that's the path to happiness so before relaxation i'll just share one more thing with you sure. there is a dimension called the anahata unstruck so commonly called heart chakra but it has nothing to do with your heart and the yantra which is the symbol for this dimension is two triangles one triangle which po- points down one triangle which points up so it's kind of like the star of david the triangle that points up simply means as a human being your wish is to merge with the divine now when i say divine it can be divine divinity cosmic consciousness god universal consciousness universe the truth the secret whatever you want to call it but basically your human beingness wants to merge with something more powerful that you can perceive but don't know what it is similarly the triangle downstairs reflects cosmic consciousness or divinity or god or whatever you want to call it allah jesus shiva buddha whatever you want to call it the name doesn't matter but that power wants to experience this human dimension so just recognize this that whatever experience you're going through that power wants to experience that Mm-hmm. and so you will have relaxation when you have this outlook this perspective you will no longer be tensed because something might bad might happen to you something tension causing this is a recognition that divinity wants to experience this through me very interesting divinity wants to have this worldly touch sensation feel haptic response and experience how else will divinity experience it other than through you mm-hmm. similarly you want to have the experience of the divine so you do things which is connected to the divine uh three simple tips for relaxation one suspend memory and imagination at any moment of time if you can close your eyes and any thoughts that come classify them this is memory go this is imagination go and see what else is left quickly in like 20 minutes you'll run out of thoughts mm-hmm. and you will reach a deep state of relaxation two breath work So have conscious deep focused inhale and exhale. One of the things that happens when we chant om is you end up going to four breaths per minute because you inhale, hold and then om. It's 15 seconds. So you're at four breaths per mm-hmm. minute. Automatically your entire nervous system, your entire limbic system, your entire physical system physiologically, ide- uh, psychologically, emotionally, energetically you become in a state of relaxation and the three and the most important thing is make sure that when you perceive anything as tension worry trouble create a bit of distance right so this is the trouble this is me 
who is the one having this tension who is the one having this trouble who is the one having these worrying thoughts the minute you create a bit of distance you're able to look at it more objectively you're able to look at it more logically and any of these worries you have you will realize if you look at it with logic and in an objective way they go away mm-hmm. say you don't have a job you look at it objectively you've not had a job before you will find a job okay i will find a job mm-hmm. say your partner leaves you look at it objectively i was not adding value to her she was not adding value to me okay okay of course it's sad and it's heartbreaking yeah but you look at it objectively create a bit of distance say your major calamity earthquake um floods mm-hmm. fire terrorist attack i hope never happens to you but a major calamity observe okay so many people are affected how can i help them spend just a moment to stay back and observe it's done the universe has created this the earth has shattered into pieces that's why there's an earthquake some idiot threw a bomb that's why there's terrorist attack what can i do nothing so having that it is what it is mentality create a distance between you mm-hmm. and the event because you are not the event mm-hmm. you're simply experiencing the event mm-hmm. so then when you have time go within and find out who is the one experience mm-hmm. who is the one who is the subjective observer of the objective experience mm-hmm. observe within witness mm-hmm. that's all something that um, has helped me a lot this year and i want to get your opinion on it is it all started off with something really funny uh, where we were just talking about with friends and i took this idea into my life like beginning of this year that most of the times where i would get worried about a situation or when my expectations of something were disappointing me i would just tell myself it is what it is that's it when you create that distance yes. that's what you're doing your expectation is there sorry your expectation is here reality is there create distance between your expectation and the reality mm-hmm. so then you say oh shit i expected this person to behave in this way but the reality is they are behaving in this mm-hmm. way so create that distance and then analyze why do i expect them to behave like that mm-hmm. and also one of the things and tensions yeah 90% tensions are caused because your expectation doesn't meet the reality so then level up your skills If you have better skills have better expectations no you have better skills yeah. you can make your expectation you can make all your dreams come true but you need skills mm-hmm. i want to make a million dollars but you don't have skill of sales you don't have skill of creating a product you don't have skill of marketing you don't know the skill of adding value to humans so that they can pay you money you don't have skill of distribution you don't have skill of team management you're not going to make a million dollars so pick up these skills and any of the top entrepreneur teachers i love some of them can i name some of them please patrick bet david grant cardone uh even carmichael um uh, louis house all of these people are giving amazing information on the steps mm-hmm. so for the steps there's enough practical information on the internet brilliant brilliant even people like um um uh, you know f- famous investors mm-hmm. even you can even read biographies of obama or bill gates or elon musk or anybody that you choose they give you tips to these steps of how to create skillfully mm-hmm. what are the skills you need to create what you want then your expectation is realistic because mm-hmm. okay i have these skills i can do sales i can do marketing i can create product i know how to add value i know how to distribute i know how to manage team there's no reason why you won't manifest 1 million dollars mm-hmm. easy okay so build up your skills build up your skills what Level about up. what about like meditating for the entire day and visualizing that you're making a million dollars will that help you in yoga we have three steps mm-hmm. mm 
इच्छा शक्ति ज्ञान शक्ति क्रिया शक्ति इच्छा शक्ति इज डिजायर स्किलफुली डिजायरिंग वॉट वी स्पोक अबाउट नाउ स्किलफुली डिजायरिंग इच्छा मीन्स डिजायर is visualizing is the secret is feeling the resonance with that thing like it's already come through all that mm-hmm. but you have to supplement that with jnana shakti the wisdom of how to make that desire into a reality without that jnana shakti that desire will just stay desire then you need kriya shakti kriya is action you need to put the actions based on the knowledge to bring the desire to fruition no actions that desire is going to sit there okay Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Very clearly. So yoga says this very clearly: Cha Shakti, Yana Shakti, Kriya Shakti. Amazing. Ten thousand years ago, they wrote about it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much Thank for you. your time. Thank you so much. But before you go, yes. My last question to you is: If you had a time machine, and you could go back ten mm. years, five mm. years, mm. and you would want to change something in your life, what would that one thing be? it could be an idea it could be a practice it could be you know buying bitcoin but no not buying bitcoin but something else <laughs> so i have a time machine and when you close your eyes you have a time machine if your memory power is strong enough you can go anywhere to the past if your imagination power is strong enough you can go anywhere to the future so you have a time machine now whether or not i want to change anything is irrelevant because if i change something there something else where i am today won't be where i am i'm will i be alive or not in this body i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know changing one thing will have a ripple effect that's what all the science fiction movies are saying mm-hmm. so the quantum loop is such that whatever had to happen happened and the trick is to not live a life of regret instead recognize at this moment you can change at this moment you can decide what is the word i'm going to say next i'm going to give you four options a b c d mm-hmm. so these four options a b c d are in front of me i'm creating my reality i'm creating my story in real time which word will i choose is it destiny is it free will and then depending on which word i choose what will be the next repercussion for that what's the next domino effect what's the next butterfly effect this is what meditation helps you realize so you get the clarity not of the past not of the future at this moment how can i make an inspired decision how can i say an inspired word how can i have clarity in action and this is unending clarity is an unending uh, there's no 100% clarity it's unending it cannot be calculated in percentage clarity is infinite you can only be more clear today than you were yesterday so it revolves back to the same thing be better than what you were before that's it just okay. every day keep growing that is beautiful You don't want to know which one I'm choosing? I'm guessing you're choosing C. Neither. I'm going to choose <laughs> E N D. Thank you for watching. <laughs> Thank you everyone and this is me CJ with Anjan signing off from the Ship with CJ podcast. Everyone have a great Follow, day. Follow, subscribe, like, comment, share. This guy's doing a great job. Find the shift in your life with the content that he's giving you. Thank you everyone. Have a great day. Thank you Anjan. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website www.shiftwithcj.com.